Welcome to Landline Podcast. I'm a professional voiceover artist that Alex could never have actually gotten unless I was his friend from 10 years ago. Landline. Alex, how are you doing? It's Jeff, the hedge fund thousandaire, everyone, our technology and finance expert back on Landline. I am angry, and I want to tell you about it. Yeah, thanks for having me. And uh, yeah, I uh, from the text we've exchanged, I, I think we have quite a bit to talk about since I last came on the show. So yeah, what, what's what's on your mind? All right, well, we're going to talk about a lot, but I just I, I just have to ask you a question, which is, how long is too long to wait for a sandwich? And I'm not just saying too long as if it's some sort of sliding scale you know how water can be too hot for humans to bathe in i feel like there's an actual point where something becomes too long in all caps and that as a society we need to understand when that is and and also like what are we supposed to do i'm late to this podcast because i waited for 25 minutes for a half sandwich at charlie's deli in portland oregon while i watched the woman take order after order after order and I just wonder, what is a normal person supposed to do in that situation? Do you just let it go? Do you make a stink? Where are we with this? And I guess as someone who celebrates the landline, am I actually just like an East Coast dick pretending to be someone who wants to take it slow because I can't wait for a sandwich? Yes, so here, uh, here's a qualifying question. Was it a hot or a cold sub? I thought it was a cold sub. It was a toasted Italian full of tortured meat, so we can talk about that too, although let's just not. Um, it was a toasted Italian, but that's a, that's a five-minute sub. It, it was a half Italian. It's just if, – if we're supposed to support local businesses, they need to be as efficient as Subway or anywhere else at like creating – well, let me stop. Slow food is something, but like a lunchtime sandwich on the run to go, there's like 10 minutes is is the cutoff in my point of view. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm by local as much. Fuck. Sorry, keep going. Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I like, the concept of buying local as much as the next guy, but you know when Subway keeps plastic in the uh, bread that they're using, it toasts up a lot quicker. I have to tell you, you know. So <laughs> I guess there's some virtue to the um, industrial machinery and chemicals in your food. But seriously, what do you do? Should I like? Do you say something? Like, what does a normal person do who's not a psychopath like I am? Like, what do you do when you've been waiting for too long? Yeah, I mean, I think you go up and you politely say, hey, um, I'm actually in a little bit of a hurry um, and I've been waiting a while. Uh, is it possible for you guys to uh, get me my sub in the next couple of minutes? God. I, I So what I do is I just go up and I state this is taking too long. <laughs> That's, but <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm also a pushover, so you know it's uh, yeah, it's a different mentality here. I'm I'm kind of just always apologizing for things, even if I'm not sorry. So, well, I'm the worst of everything because I'm the person who says something like "this is taking too long" and then feels guilty for three and a half hours afterwards. 
And if I don't say anything, then I just feel like I should have said something for the rest of the day. So it's really a no-win situation. I will tell you, and this isn't just to like try to bring landline in. It was there right with every single second I was waiting. There were, this is not an exaggeration, there were four separate iPads or tablets on set up almost like cards on their side so it was like set up like files being you know old-fashioned like file folders in a rack and each one was for what i assume to be an individual delivery service so it's uber eats it's caviar it's postmates it's all these different companies i bet their model is now to give the the restaurant partner an ipad so that they can take the orders and then all these delivery guys are coming in so everybody's just looking at their phone the delivery guy is coming in and looking at his phone the woman taking the orders is looking at all of her tablets she's looking at the ipad which is the cash register it, it was it was just tablet city in there and i i guess what i'm asking is is technology making our sandwiches come out faster because i would i would say no yeah i mean i think it's uh, it's a trade-off at the uh, sake of more revenue to the restaurant. It's become more of a clusterfuck in the process. And uh, yeah, I, this sounds like an idiosyncratic um, sandwich shop-specific problem because I, I do have to say there are places I frequent on the East Coast that you know can get me a sandwich in a timely fashion and it sounds like you were dealing with cold cuts and not chicken tenders which is inexcusable um yeah and i think i'm dealing with a community that has actually enacted legal weed so there's that aspect of it too if there are any public forums in massachusetts where you live where you can comment on the acceleration of the legalization of marijuana maybe you should ask the question how will it affect the efficiency at sandwich shops um, yeah, exactly, exactly. I I like that um, that angle. That's a real you know public um, health issue. I think landline. All right. Well, we I asked Jeff to be on specifically this week because there's so much going on in the news that I think we need to comment on. It's really a cacophony of events around technology and money and politics and. Jeff is an expert in finance. He's an expert in investing, as far as I'm concerned, and he's in—he really is an expert in like emerging technologies and the the idiosyncrasies of what all of these companies are doing and where they're looking to go next uh, with development of new technologies. So I'm really excited to talk to him about this stuff. And on the docket, obviously, we have the Facebook Cam- Cambridge Analytical stuff, in- Analytica. Um, we have, um, as we speak, the Dow is taking a big shit, so we should talk about that. The Fed hiked interest rates. An Uber, self-driving Uber car killed a pedestrian in Tucson, Arizona. Um, and we have the tariffs actually like going into play this week, we think. And those are all areas where Jeff, at least in my book, excels. So... Um, I guess I'll have to steer because we can't just do it all at once. But I think Cambridge Analytica and Facebook is is really the low hanging fruit. Um, and and I don't you know they're calling it a data breach, which I for, I want to talk about that. I just read an article from Bloomberg that I forwarded you that made it really sound like this wasn't a data breach. This was just a misuse of information that Facebook actually is designed to let people collect if if they want to. So 
Cambridge Analytica bought information from this guy in London who decided to put up a psychology, a psychological test for people to take in exchange for money. And based on the information that they got, he was able to collect data on them and their friends. And then the only thing that he wasn't allowed to do was use it for the purposes he used it for. But that's not a data breach. That's just like a misuse of data, right? Yeah, I mean, I think for all intents and purposes, we can treat it as a data breach, given that it uh, is pretty clear that it put a president in office. But um, seeing that the mechanism of the informational exchange itself uh, was not through hacking into Facebook, it, you know, I think there is some, you know, potato, potato, but at the same time, you know, they made this extremely easy to get a hold of. Uh, you know, I'm still trying to wrap my head around this, but, um, you know, I don't think the we're still a startup excuse is really going to work here anymore, and they've got uh, a real problem on their hands. All right, so the first thing I wanted to ask you is how – I think people know in general that Facebook – is making money off advertising, and I assume most people know that they're making money off data. But can you just like, for instance, apparently their stock has dropped. What is it like four billion since last week? Some insane amount. You're a person who understands like where valuation comes from and when things are too cheap and when things are too expensive and trading, and you at least have a point of view more so than me and more so than a lot of people listening. So. How how does the valuation of Facebook drop because of their malfeasance in this case? Is it because less people are using it? Is it because or is it all just make believe valuation? Like what is Facebook actually worth? There's no factories, there's no goods, there's no inventory. It's just basically the usership and and the obviously it has value. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's not a popular thing. I, I would just love to know, like, the nuts and bolts. What is that valuation based on? Yeah, so first of all, I believe, I think the number is actually closer to $40 billion. Um, the, Jesus. I'm looking at the price chart right now. It looks like it peaked up at about 190 bucks a share. You know, we're talking even more than that. We're talking like $50, 60000000000 billion, maybe more. But that's good enough for government work here. Um, Facebook, or let's let's take it a step back and just talk about how stocks are valued in general. And this is one of the reasons why I love being a part of this space is that there really is no one way to value a stock. Um, I may tell you that it deserves uh, a twenty-five times multiple on how much money it earns on. A, an annual basis, whereas someone may say, well, you know, what the market's pricing in here is the largest uh, government fine and class action suit that we've ever seen in the United States, and that could be tens of billions of dollars, so it deserves this drop. But if you basically look at the technology giants, um, anything in the NASDAQ, we're talking about Amazon, um, Apple, Google, Facebook, uh, Microsoft, we can even group in uh, Tesla and Netflix there. I mean, these are, you know, parabolic charts that literally look like the, you know, price of Bitcoin 
uh, into the end of last year. Um, so, you know, this is the first 10% correction off of a really long run at that. So we have to keep this in mind. But at the same time, I don't think this drop is um, it warranted in the to the extent that you think that user users are going to actually delete Facebook or advertisers are actually going to shy away from a marketing strategy that seems to work. I think if you do believe um, there's a problem here, you're, you believe that there's a huge lawsuit coming. Maybe the government goes after Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook, and he gets frustrated just like Bill Gates did when they came after Microsoft in the early 2000s, and he resigned from the company. Um, you know, I think that's the real bear case. But for what we've seen at the moment, you know, this is you know this is a really small rounding error in the grand history of uh, of Facebook as a public company. But so still, the question remains, like, what is Facebook valued on? Is it its revenue? Like, does Facebook make billions of dollars a year? And how do they make it? Yeah, so Facebook, I think, makes most of its money off of, the, you know, their advertising. But what they're really good at is they have something called the social graph. It effectively allows a marketer to go in and say, I like to market to, I think my target customer is between the age of 25 and 40. Uh, they're male. They like baseball. Uh, they also like to trade cryptocurrency, and they wear Abercrombie and Fitch. And those are things that you could actually you know, type into their machine, and it'll spit out a number of people that you'd actually be targeting and uh, how much it'll cost you to target those people. And so if you, are, if you have a product and you know exactly who is most likely to buy it, this is a very effective way to target your customer. And it's shown that in, you know, through Facebook's financials that, um, that a lot of people are finding value. So just to give you some insight, it looks like over in the last quarter, they're now officially, uh, we use a metric called free cash flow, which is, you know, basically how much money are you making on a, like, like when you add back in, uh, you know, some people would call them accounting loopholes, but when you add back in non-cash charges, like, depreciation and to employees or depreciating a building that you bought 10 years ago. It's like how much money is left over after all of the parties who have a, have a claim to it are paid basically. Yes, exactly. So they're now making over $5 billion a quarter and that's up from a billion dollars a year when they first came public. So they've seen earnings go up by 20 X, and they've been public for, I believe, it's a little less than five years. And so that's um, that's a real hell of a job they've done growing earnings. And if you look at, you know, their numbers, they've got $40 billion in cash. I see that the company's currently valued at 480 So you subtract the 40 that they already have in cash 
and the number you really need to hit is 440 in terms of the future cash flow of the company. And they're still growing at an extremely rapid rate, and they're already on target to earn in excess of $20 billion this year. So even if they didn't grow and they just stayed constant, you'd be making your money back in about 20 to 22 years, depending on where you think the numbers are coming in this year. I mean, that is a really reasonable price to pay for a company like this. But so, so okay, keep going, and then we should, we should yeah, keep yeah, going. We, we, should, we should move on, but the, the point is, is that um, there's a real systematic problem that we're seeing here as a result of Facebook um, in that it's really easy to spread misinformation through this avenue. Um, I struggle with what is the bigger problem here, the fact that we have this thing that exists that has become a fake news engine, um, is really dumbing down society in a lot of ways, but does have some value in the sense that you can communicate with people and stay in touch with, you know, across the world, and it connects people, blah, 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 helps people, you know, target. But is there a bigger issue in the fact that a quarter of the U.S. population um, can be fooled into thinking that Hillary Clinton is running a child uh, pornog- or sex- a sex slave trade out of a pizza shop in the back? I mean, uh, you know, there, there's two issues here that, like, we have people that are very malleable and can be easily influenced and don't fact-check any news that they get. Right. And and so it doesn't that it's like what is the saying big trees fall hard or I don't know some big apes fall hard or whatever I mean isn't the fact that it is so precipitous and it's spreading like a cancer everywhere in the world also an argument that it could fall very quickly quicker than anyone ever imagined I mean the entire company's valuation could go to zero if all of its users stop using it or if it has no more utility and the utility that it started out as, which was, let's remember what Facebook was, everyone. Facebook was a way that stuck-up Ivy League college kids could check each other out and try to get dates. And it's not just from the social network that I'm saying that. It's because I was at an Ivy League college when it came out, and it was called the Facebook, and you had to have a .edu address from the Columbia or from the Ivy League schools to start, and blah, 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 blah. And then baby boomers have just turned it into this thing where it's like all about, you know, sharing their niche political views to themselves and their small group of people that they were talking to in real life before they were on Facebook. Now, maybe in Africa and Asia and and other places, Facebook is being used completely differently. I have no idea because I guess if you're like an emerging you know, cell phone salesman in Bangladesh, you're not like taking a bunch of selfies in front of um, Easter Island and posting them on your feed. You're just like trying to use it for commerce or for sales or whatever it is. But I just don't, you know, like tobacco also had an like an unstoppable sales record in this country forever and maybe it does internationally still. But once you figure out that it causes cancer, it had a pretty bad downfall um, you know, unprotected gay sex in the '80s was had a pretty good run until it turned out AIDS was part of it all. And I think people th- think I'm kidding, but I'm not, right? I mean, was there anything better than like really hot, unprotected gay sex for gay men in the '80s? No, until it turned out that they were all getting AIDS because of it. So, is this 
social media's AIDS is like Donald Trump, the AIDS of Facebook. Landline. <laughs> well, um, that's a interesting comment. I, I, uh, I'm not sure how to answer that. Just to let you know, Philip Morris is trading very close to its all-time high. So despite the fact that they, uh, we know that they're making us sick, um, there's still a wide usage around cigarettes across the world. But um, I, I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I, it sounds like there were a group of, whether you want to call them very you know, smart people or opportunistic people, a uh, mixture of the two that figured out how to game the system. You know, the worst part about all this is if you look at who they were targeting, it were the it were the cheapest people to advertise to on Facebook, um, because no advertiser wanted to touch them, right? It, talk about I thought you know this is be- a better return than the American lobbying system. You know they paid like twelve billion bucks and got a president. I'm sorry, twelve million dollars and got a president into office. I mean that is like nutty to me. I'm sure Google's you know lobbying spend alone is tens of millions you know so it's it's really crazy well i thought that there was a light at the end of the tunnel for me this week because of this like the convergence of this facebook news and my mom quit facebook and i'm going to call her an interviewer between now and when we air this show to find out why she did and i actually wanted to have her on as a guest this week exclusively to scream at her about how baby boomers were so stupid about social media that they didn't even realize what they were doing to the world and to remind her that donald trump himself is a baby boomer so let's remember whose problems that we're, we're really realizing right now um but i i just uh i i wonder what is it that and maybe i I, you're on facebook but you're also a self-analytical guy and you're you get where i come from and maybe you're not going to quit tomorrow but what what utility is facebook offering people that they just simply can't give up i mean i think that that is the landline question for all eternity when will people realize that the marginal utility that they are achieving through this social media stuff is actually not greater than what they had prior to its existence so i wonder do you think now with everyone like even you know i work in the impact space right and and all these people who are a bunch of um back back patters p-a-t-t-e-r a a bunch of people you know think about just or forget about that think about people in the nonprofit world every mass email you get every fundraising thing everything that's about improving our existence everything that's fighting against you know neo-fascism or like trying to uh, preach awareness and healing and all this stuff that's going around right now in the enlightened circles that some of us think that they exist in those people all are using Facebook at the bottom of their emails. At what point does check our Facebook page, share our Facebook information, at what point does that actually have a dirty stink on it that they don't actually want to associate with anymore? You know, I don't know. I, I, you know, I think this to some extent, and this is maybe an unpopular opinion or a crass way to put it, this is uh, the, the social media addiction is worse than opioid addiction, right? We're talking about a very large population on this planet that's absolutely hooked on this stuff. It's taking away hours of their day, um, you know, days of their year. 
Um, you know, whereas at least heroin is a much smaller subset. Um, but I, I honestly don't have a good answer to that. What is the breaking point here? I mean, uh, I, you know, you know, Zuckerberg came out and apologized yesterday, and then you know, basically said, "I haven't seen any meaningful number of people actually quit Facebook since this happened." So, either people don't care, or you know, they're they're unable to stop looking at pictures of ex-girlfriends or you know the the girl in class that they think is cute. I, I don't know what it is. Um, I, I I can't put my finger on it. I mean. You know, I go on there, try and keep, you know, up to date. But, you know, I'm using Messenger uh, much more than I'm using Facebook itself because we have uh, uh, a group thread amongst my friends there. So, but you guys could uh, do that someplace else. Now, you would do it on WhatsApp, which Facebook owns, unfortunately. I mean, that's the other thing. Facebook has done a great job buying Instagram and buying WhatsApp. Did They own WhatsApp, right? They do. So they've got you even – I mean, they, they've – you know, whatever – Whoever was on the board that taught Mark Zuckerberg that he needed to start acquiring other companies that were creating, you know, potential threats to his future dominance did a great job. And they acquired those things for what probably was cheap to them. And now you're using Facebook even when you're not using Facebook. Um, But you guys could do that on. Why aren't you doing that on iMessage? Because not everybody has an iPhone. I think that it's because it's not on your phone necessarily it's you know on your desktop so if you want to go on the computer it just it it, it's kind of like grandfathered into our friend group we tried to do it through an email chain on gmail and it didn't end up taking off i mean obviously our babson folk have a thread on uh whatsapp that you know people use but you know i think messenger was just kind of there at the time and it was easy and convenient you know at a time when we weren't working you know we were in college and we could just go on there but now you know people are at work and uh it's a little harder i mean we we just again we're kind of hooked in there and we just haven't switched i don't really know why well and i i wonder too to slightly kind of evolve this conversation beyond facebook and i am the number one anti-facebook person on the planet well i guess one brief thing and then i want to move on i do think it's funny you compare it to opioids um it's almost better to compare it to like casual binge drinking although the opioid con- you know conversation is a really important one versus social media because there is so much intention going into discussing it and not social media I, I guess maybe we'll start to have the social media conversation more but in terms of like lives lost well whatever it's a dicey topic but it's almost more as if people who say I wish I could stop eating so much saturated fat I wish I could stop getting drunk on the weekends with my friends I wish I didn't casually watch so much internet porn I wish I exercised more I wish I slept better I wish I you know went to more yoga classes I should start meditating it's part of our entire existence as you know semi affluent and up American people and and if you went to a bar and brought up the Facebook and Cambridge Analytical and social media conversation, everyone around the table after a few beers was like, I wish I could just get off my iPhone. I wish I could just quit Facebook. Like, I really don't want to do as much social media. It's all of this self-improvement that everyone is striving to go for that they're never actually achieving. 
And that is like a psychologist or a psychiatrist or an anthropologist's dream. We all talk about bettering ourselves and we have no methods for actually executing it. And I speak for myself m most notably in that analysis. So it, it, it's part of a bunch of things we all wish we were doing differently and don't. And that is a pretty fucked situation if you ask me. Yeah, I, I mean, I have to agree with you. I think it's interesting, you know, obviously you know that I decided to, you know, discontinue my alcohol consumption because I wasn't happy with how I was behaving when I was on it. But then once I stopped for a little bit, I shed a ton of weight. Um, but, you know, what I've been really reading about and where I think the solution is, and, you know, I'm nowhere near this point yet, but I hear all these successful people talking about meditation and mindfulness now. And, you know, I think maybe a lot of the voids and loneliness that we feel, we could recenter ourselves on our own if we took a little more um, influence from, you know, the Eastern world and tried to incorporate, you know, some, you know, meditation and yoga into our, our lives to the people that aren't doing it already. And I know, you know, my friends will listen to this and say, like, you know, you don't do that crap. But, you know, I have started, and it made a noticeable effect on my mental state. So, and, um, and here I go to make an excuse for why I don't do that, although I want to say it sounds really good. Even if, even if Americans, in, in whatever we think that is, in their sort of manifest destiny and their constant search for new things to accomplish, even if they're not well-suited for mindfulness and meditation, they are really well-suited for climbing the biggest mountains and riding the longest trail on their bike and canoeing from one continent to another and all these things around accomplishment that we've also lost, right? I mean, there's the ultra marathon crowd and there's the crazy, you know, Red Bull helicopter fly suit crowd. But even if it's not meditation, we've kind of lost touch with just the natural world. Like now people are saying, well, I'm meditating so I can still exist in my square box in an urban center and, and do stuff on the computer and go to a yoga studio right at the bottom of my condo building instead of like driving up to the White Mountains and taking a hike. And I'm not trying to piss on your point that meditation might also be the key for me and maybe I feel a little bit left out that I haven't pursued that yet. At the same time, halfway to meditation is just getting outside and doing something that challenges your heart rate, that challenges your mind, that gives you the oxygen from the trees, that helps you reach happiness that the natural world is has been giving humans for all this time pre-internet, which was everything that we've ever existed up until the last 15 years. So there is also other steps like maybe spin class, maybe Peloton, maybe yoga class even inside is not the key. Maybe it's actually looking outside to understand it. Can you tell me if the moon was – Jeff, do you know if the moon is full or waxing or waning or small right now? No, I have no idea. And I, but I would say I, I agree It's a new moon, meditation. just so you know. It's a new moon. I, it's a new moon? At least I, on I, the I day think, we're recording it is. Okay. Yeah, I mean I think that um, meditation right, – I, I would group everything you're talking into something – You know, it's really a hobby that helps you escape from, you know, whatever it is you're doing. Like, I would consider when I cut vegetables to 
to be meditation because for some reason I zone out, right? I like to, you know, write uh, songs, like not necessarily make the music itself, but write lyrics. Like that to me is meditation. Anything that you know, takes you, you know, again, off your device or gets you away from whatever's making you anxious, because I'm finding as I get older, there's a lot of crap that's um, causing me stress. And I can only imagine, you know, since you've become a father, you know, how much harder it is to do, you know, everything. So it, I only know that it's going to get, you know, more difficult over time. So um, I, I completely agree with you. I think there's a lot of virtue and just getting outside but i think it's hard for a lot of people with you know we have to work harder to be successful compared to where what our parents had to do like you know the demographics and the the you know technological advancement was i think much more in their favor now we're facing real automation and you know cost cutting um you know initiatives across the board at a lot of these large companies well, there's so much in this, and and you know, I think this is, and and we're not. I'm not cutting the conversation off. I, it's just like this is this is why landline will have fuel every week that I do it, and it, you know, to have this conversation is an outlet for me, uh, whether or not it's an outlet for a bunch of other people to listen. Just because this is this is for you and I, and we're not the same age, but we're in the same range. For the people who grew up with a landline in their home and with a shared computer at a workspace at the downstairs desk and with an hour of TV a night and with riding their bikes and getting put out with their friends on onto the the you know sidewalks to go play after dinner and to run around and to skin their knee and come home only if they like needed to go to the hospital. For that group, we're right in the center of it. Our kids are never going to know what that world was like and we're always going to be striving in some way whether we fight it explicitly or not to get back there because that was somehow relaxing and it was our youth and it was childish and it was fun and it seems simple and we're just going to be constantly fighting the tide that we face ahead of us you know with the stuff like i mentioned on the last podcast how there's a petition going around now to not give your kid a cell phone until he's in here she is in eighth grade whether or not you believe that those are the decisions that people never had to make before technology came. There were other decisions. I'm not discounting that, but like this is fucked forever now unless everyone gets off Facebook. And and you know, you never you would never believe that Facebook's stock will go to zero. I do because that's the only way I can get up in the morning and have hope. And I just encourage anyone who's listening right now to ask themselves do they really need it or are they making a way that they need it in order to stay on it because they're addicted? Because that's what addiction is, right? Making excuses like I can't go to this wedding and not have a drink or I just should just have one to take the edge off or, you know, if I could just get one hit to get a little bit of happiness to go through the rest of the day, tomorrow will be the day or if I'll just I can eat anything I want this weekend and like on Monday morning we'll start with a bowl of oatmeal and some fresh fruit. It's like it's a mental battle and I understand it, but it, you got to watch out. And there are people that are very close to me that are my best friends and my closest family who are fucked on social media. It's going to be something that drives me crazy for the rest of my life. So next skipped voice message sent Saturday, March 17th at 3.27 p.m. Hey, John Lucy calling. I hope you all are well. Uh, thank you for fixing my thing so I can listen to your podcast. I've been cracking out on it. It's amazing. Uh, the 
this year has just been so good. I'm stoked. You guys are doing a great job. Keep it up. Sorry we didn't get the pod last time I was there. Again, I think other things get in the way sometimes. I'm really looking forward to getting back on it. Uh, Max is amazing. Saul, as always. I hope uh, I haven't listened to anything from Tim this year, but I hope he's well and Gabe and everybody. Hope everyone's doing well. We should talk about Gabe's shooting habits sometime and uh, see if he's progressed with that. Um, see if he can hit something. I love you guys. Thank you so much. Uh, doing a great job. Keep it up. End of message. Message erased. You're listening to Landline. Let's just talk about the Uber thing. So Uber said that they were going to suspend. We talked about Uber a lot on our first pod together, um, about how they're clogging cities, about whether or not they're actually like an added value of efficiency, um, how they're basically concentrating wealth in the hands of like this Uber shareholders and they're really not offering the drivers themselves very much. They're not unionized. I don't think that they, they don't have health care. They have to pay their own FICA taxes. Um, but now Uber had a, a self-driving car. I didn't even know Uber had self-driving cars that were out there being tested, but they did one in Phoenix or Tucson that ran somebody over on Saturday night and killed them. And now they're saying that they're going to suspend all of the, uh, the self-driving cars out there. So my hot take on this, as they say, hot take with quotes around it, is something that people probably don't think that I would say, but how many people get killed by a car driven by a human every year? And I, I mean, I just Googled it. Thanks, Google. Thanks, Internet. But, but you know, 1.3 million people die in road crashes each year or average of 3,200 deaths a day. So how is – first of all, are you still there? I've been talking for like 45 minutes. Yeah, I mean – I heard that the last text message that that person sent was, uh, I have information that'll lead to the arrest of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> Is that true? No, I'm, I'm kidding. It's just a joke. Look, obviously we feel bad for the person who died, but we're not going to like do our thoughts and prayers thing because that's not what this is about. Things happen, statistics happen, and we're just going to talk about them analytically. So... What do you th- first of all? What do you think this will mean for Uber? Will they just get back on the self-driving car thing? How did their their stock is private? Where is Uber in all of this? Where the Uber is the behemoth of transportation along the lines of Facebook. So so give us some Uber, some Jeff on Uber. You know, I don't have a real strong opinion on what's going to happen here. I mean, if I'm. I- they were basically, uh, they started, I believe, in Pittsburgh, kind of covertly testing this autonomous vehicle capability. Um, I don't understand why they didn't just kind of license it from someone else. I mean, Intel came out and made an extremely large acquisition either last year or the year before a company called Mobileye that it developed, um, you know, a piece of computer vision technology that could kind of gauge depth perception and it was being integrated into cars and and they from what i understand have the best self-driving capability alongside google's standalone new company waymo i don't understand why, why uber felt the need to develop this technology in the first place but you know it may have been you know their own hubris and you know we saw with 
the CEO getting booted that obviously they had started to fly too close to the sun, and this really, I think, was the, the crash and burn here. So, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if they indefinitely suspended it and went out and partnered with someone else. But, you know, at the same time, you know, Google technology is not infallible either. Tesla's is not infallible either. But, like, you know, it was surprising to me that, you know, a company would go out and even try and really do this. It just felt like they had the money, so they they tried to do it. And this is the first real major you know, accident we've seen with this type of stuff. But I'm sure statistically all these, you know, technologies around autonomous vehicles are still safer than the alternative of manual drivers. So do you, are you convinced that there will be autonomous cars like in the near future and that that's just happening, that there's no recourse for making that a reality? I mean, I think that at a minimum it's happening at the industrial level. I mean, the problem is you're talking about, I believe the number is 10 million jobs of truckers that are going to get displaced by this, but there's no reason why we shouldn't have electric semi, you know, 18 wheelers transporting goods, you know, across the country. It just, it, it makes a ton of sense. Uh, right, it does kind of present this really crappy situation that you put people out of work. But I think if you're a corporation, you say, "I want to create industry by creating intellectual jobs." And you know, no offense to truck drivers because there's a ton of virtue in what they're doing, but it's not, you know, a you know very stimulating and intellectual role. You know, and I'm assuming that. If you look at the demographics, the you know they're you know on average less educated than you know someone that's sitting in the office for the same company, um, and you know not to dive too deep into that, but at the same time I do think it makes sense in certain facets. Uh, there are computers already built into cars, so you know a lot of the issues around you know computers malfunctioning are going to be you know, very similar in terms of an autonomous vehicle versus, I don't know, something going wrong with the internal system if you're manually driving it. So I think it's going to happen. I think it's just going to be a longer, it's going to take a lot longer than people are currently forecasting it. You know, it's it's amazing that flying, commercial flying is so successful. We, We can't get a train to go more than 80 miles an hour on a track in Washington State and the, the Northeast Corridor Amtrak is just always fucked up and constantly over budget and underfunded and all of this stuff. And I realize the government is involved and people would say that free enterprise would fix all that. I'm not sure that that's the case. You look at the commercial airline industry. It was the safest year on record in the United States for that. A, a, a giant, you know, aluminum steel graphite tube flying at. 700 miles an hour that can get from one coast of the United States to another in six hours without damage. It's insanely efficient and successful. And talk about a success of technology. I I think it's unique in that way. You know, I can't get an, a half Italian sub in less than 25 minutes 
because of five iPads lined up at the counter distracting the woman who's taking orders. Maybe that's a stretch, but I, I'm not sure it is. I mean, how do we – It's we're pretty hit or miss on, like, how technology is just going to solve problems. Like, airlines have succeeded in solving a huge amount of problem and basically creating time travel. Um, I think this linear pattern that we assume will happen in things like, you know – Self-driving cars is is full of so much fallacy, and I I just don't know. Is it fair to say that we're overconfident in how well this will go for us in the next fifteen years, or how you know how how the technology will be implemented on, on a national scale? You know, I think it's it's like a lot of things in terms of um, you know I think about it like the stock market, right? The stock market predicts basically what's going to happen and a lot of times it predicts it wrong and what i think you're seeing here is that you know effectively this is you know a, a, sub, a very small subset of the market is pricing in that we're getting this in five years and it's probably going to be closer to 20 to 25 i just i'm highly skeptical that especially after this there's not going to be pushback i mean Hell, like nuclear energy by far, you know, has so much more virtue than fossil fuel, let's call it. But because of the Fukushima disaster, which really was just poor placement of a nuclear facility at the end of the day, we're never going to, we're not going to like put any nuclear, you know, plants in, you know, in the world for years. Or, I mean... I don't know exactly what's going on, but the, the whole point is is that, um, you know, these small things that happen um, seldomly get over-publicized, and we don't end up doing things as a result. So I think that this is going to be, maybe, maybe this will be a wake-up call that we're not necessarily seeing for social media, to take it back to the earlier discussion, but... Um, this may, there may be pushback now around autonomous vehicles. Well, we'll wait and see. Um, you know, it is interesting that something I was going to say earlier, just to go back to the Facebook uh, discussion, Facebook is getting all the blame. Let's say Facebook was, you know, eliminated off the face of the earth tomorrow. Do you know how much more data is available to track people and target them? It's not as if face, Facebook must, might, might be the mother of all of it and might be the most personal information. But in terms of, like, couldn't you just create a data set that looked at people's IP addresses and understood, like, what neighborhoods they hung out in, what types of restaurants they went to, and then you could understand. I mean, th think about their spending habits. I mean, how much does the amount of money you spend and where you spend it indicate who you are from a political perspective? And, you know, not to mention their Instagram accounts, their WhatsApps. I don't think that we're living too far off from a world where when we when we evaluate political candidates, we're going to see a roster of what pornography sites they go to. You yeah, know, I mean, how, just to kind of delve into that deep, I mean, like, you know, Apple knows where you're going. Visa and MasterCard know what you're buying. Google knows how you think. I mean, they're really the, the problem here, and I don't want to you know, poo poo them too much because I have a nuclear family member that works for them. But I do think that they have the most responsibility here in terms of how they're using your data because they, uh, they 
I think they arguably has the most valuable data out there, which is potentially the ability to map a human brain. And I, I think they, if anyone's going to create artificial intelligence, something that's truly sentient, it's going to come out of there. And, um, yeah, right, Facebook is one facet. And we really need to, I think, be careful about what's going on here. And right now it's just data, but it leads into a longer discussion about, you know, artificial intelligence and the responsibility around that. And, you know, we'll have to save that one for next time, I feel like. Yeah. Um, I guess just ask yourself if you want if you would want to be stuck in an elevator with someone that looks like Mark Zuckerberg and neither of you had iPhones just i mean just mark zuckerberg's whole face scares me i think it's the face of an overlord that could easily turn from whatever the emperor in in uh, star wars was before he became that like lightning throttling you know weird red-eyed like face man so something to think about face man that's what they should call zuckerberg um, all right, we got to do some quick hits here before we leave because I gotta, I, I, we got, we have to keep it tight. Um, so interest rates, tariffs, um, and uh, and and the Dow. Uh, can you just like give us a sort of macroeconomic view of what's going on right now? Um, why is the Dow going down so much today, or, or what do you, how do you think that fits into like a bigger picture? Is it a result of interest rates, or is it more political stuff and? And what's your feeling on the on the Trump tariff move? Yeah, I mean, so one thing I, I don't necessarily like is that we always need to have a reason for why the market is going up or down. And what I would say is, right, the market is going down because it hasn't gone anywhere but up for the past basically 10 years now. Um, but... What I would say is today uh, they are unhappy about the proposed tariffs on Chinese goods uh, in response to basically the you know some Chinese um, uh, I guess larceny around uh, U.S. technology and basically stealing our IP and this is in response to that and there. Are are fears now that the Chinese are going to come back and slap tariffs on us. I went and took a look actually last night. It looks like there's a lot of concern around uh, United States exports of soybeans to the Chinese, which I'm highly skeptical they would tax because that would cause food inflation for their own population. But they also sell a lot of cars to the Chinese. And they sell um, commercial airplanes. That's another one I don't think they would touch just because airplanes are not within their realm of competency, whereas they can make cars. I think you'll see them come out and slap tariffs on, like, GM and Ford and stuff like that. Um, But uh, there's definitely a fear right now that, you know, Trump has come out several times in the last couple of months with, uh, tariffs on different things. And, you know, if you look at the trends, tariffs have been going down, you know, for, for really forever now. I have a, a chart I wish I could show you uh, on my phone, but it shows GDP going straight up and tariffs as a percent of goods going straight 
down. So this is kind of a reversal of that trend. But, you know, I think history has shown that the United States uh, periodically goes into periods of protectionism. Um, and, you know, I think there is some virtue to that, that where technology is, is at a point where a lot of uh, things are much more cost-effective to create in the United States than they had been 20 years ago. And I think you see that Trump knows that, but there is some end game here with what he's doing that I don't quite understand. Um, so, you know, I'll pause there. But, you know, well, the I mean, as long as, as long as there aren't tariffs, as long as the Chinese don't put tariffs on artisan coffee... Um, you know, um, bespoke ice cream, used vinyl records, and uh, handmade um, leather goods, then I think everyone in Portland, Oregon will be okay. So, uh, you know, cars and planes aren't really of our concern. Well, you unfortunately, though, you your largest employer uh, at the, you know, from a you know, publicly traded company level, right, I think is probably, or at least one of the top five is Nike, and they're making all their goods there. So I think there is some exposure directly between Oregon and these Chinese tariffs where you really don't want them um, doing something along the lines of slapping tariffs on apparel, right? Because Nike is selling Air Jordans like crazy in China, I'm assuming. Yeah. And. So, so there, I, I wouldn't, I, you know. And solar. I mean, how about all that? There's, I think there's a lot of solar manufacturing here, and I, I, I and I don't know what's the story with silica. Like, uh, uh, Intel must be importing a ton of stuff from from China as well. Although, are there are they selling back to China? How does that work with, like a a, a, a computer chip that's inside a cell phone that's manufactured at Foxconn? Where is that computer chip manufactured? Probably China as well. Yeah, I mean, Apple doesn't really make a device here. They designed it, and then they outsourced everything else to China. I mean, it can't be good. I mean, I own a lot of Qualcomm stock right now. I bought it before there was this big merger opportunity for them, but um, they're in this, like, weird battle now where they need one more regulatory approval from China on an acquisition they made years ago. And now there's a fear that because of what Trump's doing, um, that it, there's going to be uh, some some lashback here. Um, so these tech companies who he's trying to protect probably get the you know real blunt end of this. Um, so it, it, honestly, none of this really makes sense. And you know, at the same time, while we talk about all this, the economy is red hot. The enough to which that the Federal Reserve feels comfortable raising interest rates. So you have the government's going to print like the largest deficit since the financial crisis. Interest rates are going up for the amount of interest that they have to pay back. The bondholders is going up. And then you have uh, you know, this trade war going on where he's going to slap tariffs on things, so you're going to get some inflation. I, I don't really understand all the different moving parts. It feels all very contradictory to some extent. So what do you do? What is that? Yeah, I mean, we can't go on forever because it's, it's, 
it's just interesting. You know, if you're 35 and you're just coming into sort of the heart of your professional career and you're looking at buying a house or or upgrading a house and you're looking at putting money away, it, it's a relatively new landscape for you given how topped out everything feels right now. Um, do you wait? Or, or, you know, is there a crash? Not that you're Nostradamus, but it's just interesting. All this stuff is... It's pretty volatile. It feels like everything is not in like a steady growth pattern, although the Fed did raise interest rates to illustrate that they thought that the economy would remain strong in the near future. So I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I would say the way I think at least about investing um, or buying property, but let's just call it investing for the time being, is to put something away every month and every time you get a 5% correction in the market, put twice as much away. Now, if you get like a flash crash um, or, or, you know, you get a really big correction, you go on peanut butter and jelly diet for as long as possible and throw as much money into the market as you can. I mean, this was a very central theme around Warren Buffett's most recent shareholder letter was you should never take out a loan to buy stocks because, or take on too much debt in general because when the market tanks, amazing opportunities present themselves and all you really need to do is look at, you know, let's call it um, the bank stocks or, you know, these really depressed companies that went down to almost zero during the financial crisis and have returned, you know, a hundred times the money, you know, the the price you could have bought it at. So right, right. it's it is it truly is for people who don't know. It, it truly is insane to just like basically we can guarantee you that the market will be exponentially higher in fifty years than it is now. So just put your money into it. It doesn't matter if it goes down; it's just going to go back up. It's the only place it goes is up. Yes. It's yeah. things get... have a discipline and buy buy disproportionately more how it goes you know when it goes down. I think that's the key, and you know that's really the only advice I have because I, I I am I'm definitely not clairvoyant. I've had to learn the hard way that you should not be trying to be Nostradamus because um, when you do well, it's sure hard not to think that you are. All right, let's end with a couple of fun things. We're talking about things we could short. So shorting is basically borrowing shares, selling them, investing the money, and then... It's, um, late- I own Facebook because I think it's cheap. You want to bet against it, so I lend you my shares, and you immediately sell them in the open market and collect money. Yep, and you have to hope that it goes lower, and you buy it at a cheaper price and return those shares to me, and get to col- collect whatever the spread is between where you sold it and where you bought it at a future price. And I get is- I get interest on the money that I invested uh, in something safe in the interim. Usually, right? You're oh, making a little bit of yeah, upside and, there but as well. But you also have to pay me interest as well because technically I'm loaning you something as well. So, All right. So so two things. To, we talked about like, let's do your shorting the NFL bet and then I want to talk about shorting Snap or Snapchat because I think that that's a fascinating opportunity. So tell me about what you found out about the NFL. I've been saying on this podcast for years that 
thought there was a great opportunity to short the NFL. I really think that its peak was probably two years ago, maybe right before Peyton Manning. Maybe that was three years ago, right before Peyton Manning um, retired. You had Manning, you had Brady, you had Rodgers, you had Breeze, you had all this point scoring. You had, you know, every game was sold out. You had TV rights that were at all times highs. You had ESPN before they had taken their recent downturn. You had sort of this cacophony of events that made the NFL just seem bulletproof. I think that ultimately it's probably overvalued still, but it was when Mark Cuban said, you know, pigs get fat, hogs get slaughtered. To me, I thought he was so right. There was never a way that it could stay on top forever because it was always presenting itself as the most important thing, and that get, gets tired. And there, it wasn't really prepared for the idea that there could have been a couple of chinks in its armor, including the Colin Kaepernick thing, the kneeling anthem thing, the fact that the rules are such that the games weren't that good, the a couple of instances in the last few years where what should have been a catch on a huge national skate stage and a huge nationally televised game was not a catch, and people basically all collectively said at bars and, and living rooms around the country, like, these rules suck, that's a catch and the game had a different outcome than the one it should have had. Um, the Patriots' dominance, Spygate, Deflategate, all that crap about how the Patriots are cheap cheaters, Belichick being a dick, Brady being like relatively media um, unavailable. All those things came together to make the NFL something that was, in my eyes, overvalued and starting to go down. So Jeff has looked into some of his many magic balls and ha- has some points of view on shorting the NFL. Yeah, I mean, so there's some, you know, if you go type into Google ways to bet against it, I'd say it's a pretty underwhelming yet obvious list, right? You get the EA Sports of the world that are making Madden, Buffalo Wild Wings that's, you know, hosting game day. Um, You know, I, I will say that there's a smaller wing company called Wingstop that I think might be an interesting short, but at the same time, you know, Everyone likes chicken wings. It's not just football season. So I don't think that's the perfect way to do it. But one of the things I did find, I have this new database where I can effectively go look down to the line item very quickly at different um, in, in company annual and quarterly filings that they're forced to submit to the government uh, if they're publicly traded. And I found that there's a southern... Uh, fried chicken chain that's publicly traded called Bojangles that has a um, a large partnership with the Carolina Panthers. So not only, um, you know, they're saying that we're, you know, heavily reliant on the Panthers in our marketing strategy, but, you know, we both know Cam Newton loves to run, and he's a head hit away from, you know, missing the season. So I'm like, that's not a good bang for Bojangles' buck. Um, and and them. and their owner just got accused of like groping everybody and is going to get basically Donald Sterling out of his position. And and now like you know people are are buying like the the team's up for sale as well. Um, Cam Newton was sort of a once in a lifetime quarterback for that franchise. And I would say he's definitely on the downside. Like they went, did they win a Super Bowl? I think they did win a Super Bowl. They went to the. No, Super- he lost to Denver that year. Right. Um, yeah, I mean, so I think there's an interesting way where, like, everyone would kind of say, "Hey, you're crazy," but you might see them 
if uh, the Carolina Panthers' ratings dip disproportionately to the NFL in the event of a Cam Newton injury, you might see them legitimately miss their quarter. But the one that I thought was really interesting that I had no idea was publicly traded is Madison Square Garden's um, cable network is separate from the real estate company that's publicly traded. So um, Madison Square Garden Networks, you know, televises all the Nick and Islanders and Rangers games, and obviously they don't get the football games, but at the same time, they do have a ton of New York Giants and Buffalo Bills, like, exclusive content, you know, pregame, postgame, training camp stuff. Like, you know, so I think it's a meaningful part of business for them, and if you look at it, football season is one of their best-performing quarters um, of all the financials, their seasonality to their business. So if you really started to see ratings drop, obviously, you know, a company that's generating their sales off of ad revenue is going to have a tough time here. So I thought it was interesting, and they also have a lot of debt, which makes it a better short because if the business really does – not uh, does start to um, deteriorate and they can't pay their interest, then you get this opportunity for a bankruptcy, which is you know a real short sweat dream. <laughs> and a key a key fact of all this that we didn't really say is that the NFL isn't publicly traded; it's a privately held company by the thirty owners. So there's no way you can buy NFL stock or short NFL stock. So you have to look for other opportunities. And I would say ESPN would have been an incredible short three years ago. And I guess saying something would have been an incredible short is always a stupid thing to say because that's easy. It's it's hindsight is twenty twenty. But you can't just buy ESPN because it's owned by Disney. And I am fascinated by this idea of how much a company like ESPN actually impacts a company like Disney. And it, it seemingly doesn't because Disney is like a, a darling of all of these people, including Warren Buffett right now, right? Well, no, not even. I, I'm waiting for him to buy Disney. You know, if you remember, we talked about Disney last time. I'm a long shareholder now, you know, by my standards. And, right, the reason why the stock is not performing well and hasn't shared in any upside in this little Trump stock market rally we've had is because ESPN is underperforming while simultaneously their their theme parks, which were were seen as, you know, showing real weakness, have come out of nowhere and are doing really well. So, you know, ESPN is in real trouble, but at the same time, you know, they're launching a new subscription service and, it's really not a pure play on the NFL because at the same time, like the NBA is doing really well. And, you know, I think it's just more, there are more options out there, but yeah, I mean, there's really no easy way to get full exposure to professional football. So getting a little creative, I mean, there are a couple of companies making like communications equipment for the actual stadiums, but, you know, that, that's a tricky subject that I don't really have great insight on because I feel like, you know, despite the fact ratings might be down, the, the stadiums are going to always be filled up. Yeah. I, uh, it, it sort of sucks that all the brands that you associate, it's just kind of like the, the world of conglomerated business. It sucks that. If you look like you, you went into a football stadium, it was like, okay, but it's, it's, we're, we're looking at like Bud Light, like 
you know, I guess Papa John's, but like whatever the in-game like sponsorship and sold at the stadium sponsors are, you know, the tire company, all that. Most of them are now owned by like larger parent companies and you can't just like make those small bets. Um, well, the last thing I want to end on is is Snapchat. So I, I just and this is more of. I guess less of a finance conversation and more of like a landline philosophical question. And it goes back to where we started on Facebook and will people ever quit using this stuff? There's no way in my eyes that Snapchat is anything but just a flash in the pan. It's just something that is a fad with this specific subset of teenagers in between 2012 and 2020. Are you you and I going to be like – at our 30th NBA reunion, like, you know, cheers in club sodas and talking about our vegan diets as our kids Snapchat each other, like it will be obsolete, won't it? And, and so like if we know that there's, you know, I, I mean, I wish I, I, I should have brainstormed other examples of this stuff, but it's like a pogo stick or or like, I don't know, Nintendo 64 or just things that are just going to get an upgrade. Someone, something else will pass it on the outside or it'll just become something that like nobody does anymore. How, how do we think that a company like Snapchat will have any sort of longevity and, and long term utility for the, for the marketplace? Yeah, I mean, I think that you're absolutely right. And what a world we can we live in where Kylie Jenner and Rihanna can send a stock down and have it lose billions of dollars of value in a day. But, yeah, I mean, really what this was, I watched it happen. They made the CEO look like he was the next Zuckerberg when I think anyone with a clue knew that this guy just, happened to catch lightning in a jar and hit the right bat. Um, I don't want to bash it too much because I have several friends that work in the accounting department there, but I'd say they are very uh, loose with the amount of stock that they give away, which is, uh, very, uh, is, is a very shareholder-unfriendly tactic because it dilutes their stake in the company. And uh, I, I agree with you. I think this is legitimately a zero shot. The problem is, is I would never bet against a tech stock in a market that continues to do very well. But I, I, I think, you know, when we go to our 30th anniversary, we'll be laughing at that one. So um, it also brings up the idea in the way you describe the CEO. Hey, hey, America and like, hey, parents, not that my parents did this, but like, Hey, general discussions at holiday cocktail parties when you see old friends and old friends, mothers and fathers. Let's stop celebrating the tech entrepreneur. I, I'm not sure that they're actually bringing the country any closer to the place you want it to be. Case in point, that Theranos girl that was the dollar darling of Silicon Valley in the medical field and Stanford who had whatever company that was going to revolutionize, what was it, like immunizations or blood testing or whatever, and she was on the cover of every page, and every mother and father in northern New Jersey was saying, like, how come you can't be more like this girl? Like, she dropped out of Stanford and started a multi-billion dollar healthcare company, and she's going to save kids in Africa, and she's starting a, you know, a, a nonprofit, and she's beautiful, and she's got an amazing house in Palo Alto. It turns out she's getting prosecuted by f for fraud and i don't even know what her story is but all of these like moonshot tech entrepreneur stories 
make me sick. Like, how about if your kid starts a sheet metal fabrication factory in like a medium sized second city and puts 34 Americans to work? Like, is that a good enough outcome? Yeah, I mean, I think that is exactly what you want. And I mean, I think at the end of the day, that's why you should celebrate some of these tech entrepreneurs. I mean, you wouldn't know this, but and I don't want to throw him under the bus because I like him. But our, you know, our classmate John Kluge had posted a an article about saying how we should applaud Elizabeth Holmes and like condemn Martin Screlly, um, you know, years before this fraud came out. And you know, say what you want about Martin Screlly, but uh, this guy actually showed us how fucked the healthcare system was. And people started the discussion, and it's getting us, I think, to the point where we'll eventually be able to go after these pharma and med device companies that charge an arm and a leg because basically healthcare has become the most opaque uh, market out there. But yeah, I mean, I mean, Elizabeth Holmes is just in a, a criminal. Like, I mean, what did she even I, do? I, What'd you say? What did she even do? Like, what was that even about? Um, like her the fraud itself. Yeah, like I mean, she st- she started a company that did what? That's where I'll start. And then and then yeah, I think they were creating like some type of test that uh, I I don't know if it was a blood test or something, but it was extremely cheap and powerful, and the data came out about it that it really was not what they had made it out to be. And she had taken in, I want to say, like, you know, not a billion dollars, but $700 million is what I'm looking at right now. And she basically lied to investors that she had created this revolutionary blood test. And on top of that, our um, our very own um, Jim... Uh, Mad Dog Mattis sat on the board and collected 150 grand a year. Nice. Um, basically, trying to win military contracts for her. Now, I'm sure he wasn't aware that this was a fraud, but at the same time, you know, it only adds to the aura of like where we really are these days. You know, I mean, we got um, people in office that are tied to really shady businesses. All right, well, I'll leave everyone with one last anecdote from my week, and I don't necessarily love to cross-pollinate work with the podcast, but um, what I did hear on a large webinar that I was participating in that was about solutions to the North Carolina food shed and getting more uh, integration between producers and distributors and eaters, and it was a bunch of people who were trying to solve their local economic problems through sustainable agriculture, which is great. I'm all about that stuff. And this one guy who runs a t-shirt company that grows cotton and then makes t-shirts in North Carolina made two incredible observations that I'll share. The average t-shirt in this country tra- or er, that's bought in this country has traveled 15,000 miles, which is insane. And, you know, is it really is that really necessary for a couple of dollars off at the big box store? And what are the implications of all of that travel to the local economy itself? Like just because a T-shirt is five dollars less expensive than it would be had it been, you know, grown, sewn and sold in the United States. Is that actually a net positive for the economy? And of course, the answer is no. But the really fascinating thing he said was that. 
he he you know Raleigh is one of the cities that I think is still in the running for Amazon's second headquarters and we've done Facebook we've done Uber we've done Snapchat so let's just hit Amazon on the way out with the back of our hand and he was just he just made the point that imagine the amount of money that they're spending courting Amazon with all of the RFQ and RFP work and the working groups and the steering committees and the people who've been hired to tour the people around and create the architectural designs all of that money going into that in order to have an Amazon headquarters that'll continue to make the wealth disparity between the rural residents of North Carolina or any area where that place is where that second headquarters is going in versus spending half that money on rural economic development in the state itself. You know, we Yeah, I mean Amazon is I think Amazon is uh the most criminal of the organizations out there, right? I mean, it's bound to become the largest company in the world. It's on pace for it. It'll probably surpass Apple at some point, maybe not this full market, but probably the next one. They pay no taxes to the government. HQ2 is going to basically, probably they're going to get money to move to the city or something like that. Um, just so you're aware, I, I've heard reports that Seattle to Boston private jets into Hanscom Airport have skyrocketed in the past two or three weeks. Shit. So um, we're going to make an overly populated old city that was not built to house, uh, you know, another 50,000 people, you know, maybe get this office and... Uh, I'm I'm really uh, I'm really hopeful that somewhere like Raleigh wins it, but I, I my bet if it wasn't Boston, it's going to be Philly or DC. I think that would be the best spot for it. But yeah, uh, Jeff Bezos, I don't think is like uh, not that he probably cares, but you know he walks around. At, you know, there's a picture of him with his robotic dog at like a pool party from last weekend. I mean, this guy is kind of a smug prick. So again, do you want to be in a in a? Do you want to drive from Sacramento to San Diego in a VW bus with that? I I would say no. So um, just question. You know, there's a landline challenge for us to end up on, Jeff. I want the landline listeners to call in. That's five zero three eight nine four eighty four eighty. Such compelling conversation that I haven't even given the phone number out. I will be reviewing Craig's Sandwich Shop or Michael's or whatever the hell it was called on my on my Yelp account. It'll be the second landline review, landlinepodcast.yelp.com. So look for that. But I challenge the landline listeners, see if you can go an entire day without using, and forget about your iPhone, okay, just for a second, without using Facebook, Snapchat, Uber, WhatsApp or Instagram, which are part of Facebook, Amazon, or Google. See if you can go an entire day. You can even like just go sun up to sundown. Once it gets, it's like Shabbos. Once the sun goes down, you can like just pull your dick out, get all the apps open, and like have a grand time. But see if you can go an entire day. Again, it's Facebook and its subsidiaries: WhatsApp and Instagram, Snapchat, Google, Amazon, and Uber. And if you can, call up 503-894-8480. Leave a message. Jeff, maybe me and you should take that challenge. Do you have a day in the next week where you can make that happen? I mean, it's up to you. I'm not going to be a commandant. I'm just going to try to be an inspirational leader for everyone out there. 
Yeah, how about this? I'm going to Denver next weekend. I'm going to give it a shot. And speaking of uh, tech companies, Dropbox is coming public tomorrow, and I'm seeing that it's already well above where they thought it was going to initially price. So we got another one of these bad boys that's about to come public and be absurdly overvalued. And I will say Dropbox is an example of a pretty I, – I, nobody's addicted to Dropbox – yeah, Dropbox has some like major utility that is used for file sharing and is has a nice interface. And I mean, maybe they're evil. We haven't found out yet, but they're not all about like getting your dopamine going and getting you addicted and getting you using it as much as possible. I mean, Facebook's stated goal was to get people to use Facebook more than anything else that they were doing in their life. So just ask yourselves if you want to continue to be a part to this and. As many people have said before me, and I'll share with the group again today, if you're not paying for something, then it probably means that you're the product yourself. So be careful about your free use of all of these devices and how your information might be used on the back end. So with that, Jeff, thank you so much for joining Landline. Uh, we really appreciate your insight. Um, thanks for being a fan of the show, which I hope you are. And, uh, yeah, any, any any parting shots? No, I mean, you know, I, I came back to I came to you with a couple of stock picks last time, and I really don't have much to report on them. So I, I think it's probably, you know, good to, you know, end on, uh, you know, that note. But I will say that the Franklin Templeton call that I made, it's really gotten slammed. And I still like it a lot. So that's um, one that I would still be buying. But that's uh, really, um, uh, you know, I, I thought we had a good discussion. And I look forward to next time. And hopefully the, uh, there's some more color on everything that's going on. And Uber hasn't uh, killed any more people. Absolutely. All right. That's Jeff, the hedge fund thousandaire. Remember, landline 503-894-8480, SoundCloud, Stitcher, iTunes, wherever you listen. I'll send you a record in the mail if you want to quit the internet. All right, thanks, everyone. Talk to you later, Jeff. Bye, Alan. Landline is hosted, written, and produced by Alex McKay. The best thing you can do to support the show is tell a friend. Music by the Pitchfork Revolution out of Bend, Oregon. taking this show to the top, baby.
You're listening to Landline.